How is everyone this morning? Good. Blessed to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. It is good to be here. Um, it's good to be with you all. So, this morning, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, we're going to focus on the second half of it, but the whole chapter is really good, and it, it gives context. So, we're actually going to start reading at the beginning of chapter 5. Um, as I was looking at where to start, each time I backed up, I wanted to back up more. Have you ever done that? You're like, oh, this is better context. Better. But before you know it, you get to the beginning of first, or Second Corinthians. So we're, we're going to start in chapter 5, and we're going to read the entire chapter together before we get into this. So Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 says, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, and as much as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that the mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart." For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, and if we are of sound mind, it is for you. And here's where our text will start this morning. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. 
we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. This is a, a great chapter. And I think it goes along well with our life groups. Um, the gospel fuels this whole section that we read. What Jesus has done for us is amazing, and it changes everything. Everything for us. Too often, the gospel, it's looked at as something to share if there's unbelievers present. Um, something that is just for those who have not been saved. Although, sadly, sometimes it's not even preached when there are unbelievers present. But regardless, the gospel, it, it is for all, all the time. It is for us. And 521, the last verse in chapter 5, it's, it's such a great picture of the gospel in one verse. It says, He, being God, made him, Jesus. So God made Jesus, who was perfect and had no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we might stand before him not as sinners, not just as morally neutral, but so that we might stand before him as righteous in and through Jesus. That's what he did for us. And why did that need to happen? Because we are sinners, right? Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. Romans 6 says, the wages of sin is death. We have all sinned against the holy and sinless God who created us, who sustains us, and is the ruler and judge of all creation. Now, our ideas of what is right and what is wrong um, are not the law, right? If justice says something, that is not the law. That's not how it works. The law is established by our creator, by God. God has told us what is right and wrong. And as who had life group last night? Did all the life groups meet last night? A lot of them? Okay. So, what did he give us? The law, the, the Ten Commandments, right? We were, I think if we're all in the same, same uh, chapter, that's what we were talking about last night, the Ten Commandments. Um, and we've all broken God's laws and rebelled against him and stand guilty before him, right? So, if I asked, have you ever lied? Or have you ever stolen? Have you ever dishonored your parents? Have you ever wanted something someone else had? If you've ever looked on someone with lust? Um, if we're honest, most of us would answer yes to probably all of those things. Which means, before God, are we innocent or guilty? Guilty, right? Okay, that's what we were, that's what we were hearing the other night. The wages of that death are not just a physical death, they're eternity in hell. And those wages are going to be paid out because we earned them. And so God sent someone else, he sent Jesus to take those wages for us. To pay for our sins and receive the punishment that we deserved. Verse 19 says that God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ, God's own Son, and God himself paid for our sins with his suffering and with his life. God killed Jesus for you and poured his wrath out upon him. 
And that is a great love for us that he showed. And he hasn't just saved us. Verse 17 says that he has made us a new creation, a new creature. We have the Spirit of God in us and are no longer bound by sin and death. The old has passed away and the new has come. Are you thankful, church? I am so thankful. And so I just want to make sure that we, as a church, we understand this. Do you understand the insane love that God has for you and that he has shown you? Like, this love, the the kind of love that saved us, didn't just make us neutral, but has made us children of God. He's made us righteous in his sight. And the more you think about the gospel and and your own sin and what Jesus has done for you, what what God did, how he demonstrated his love, um, the harder it is to comprehend if you take an honest look at yourself. But it is amazing, and it is real. And so, with the gospel, the gospel is what fuels this section. When we understand that, we say, okay, what is the response? What should our response to this love be? And and I think I asked this question at uh, IGY, our youth group, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, they gave some great answers that are correct. You could say worship, right? We want to respond to his love with worship. Um, a lot of people said thankfulness or gratitude. We want to respond to God's love for us with thankfulness and with gratitude, definitely. But I would also propose that our response is and should be love. Love. Um, I want to read another somewhat lengthy section of Scripture talking about love. You can turn to 1 John chapter 4. So we're going to talk about God's love here, and we're going to start in verse 7. It says in 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another... God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And by this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first 
loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he, is not see- whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we, are, we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So church, we love because he first loved us. Okay, so we see God's amazing love for us. Our response is to love. That should be our response to God's great love, to love him in return, to love. What is the greatest commandment? Exactly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Okay, greatest commandment, which we can only do because of God's love. We have to understand God's love for us. We have to, like, fan that into flame so that we can love. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, it says. It's where it all comes back to. So when we understand the gospel, when we understand what God has done through Jesus, that love, as verse 14 in 2 Corinthians 5 says, it controls us. It compels us. Okay? God has made us new. He's enabled us to respond to his love, and through the Holy Spirit, he works his love out in us. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if you love him, you will keep his commandments. And his love for us is what controls us or compels us through the Spirit in us to obey his commands. And his commands, he says, are not burdensome. Um, They are good commands. Does, does God command us to do things that are bad? He, he doesn't. His commands are good. He might command us to do things that are hard. Um, that is true. He often does. And a lot of times they're hard because they, they war against our flesh. Um, they might involve some suffering, but God's commands are always good. They are always good. And because of his love, we want to love him in return. We want to please him We want to obey his commands, which are good. Um, If you look back in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Paul's ambition is to be pleasing to the Lord. And he goes on to say that we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be recompensed, which means we're going to receive what we have earned, whether good or bad. And if you, if you understand the gospel, then you know in that spot, talking to believers, you're not going to be judged and sent to hell. But you are going to be held responsible for what you have done with your life. And you're going to be rewarded, as Pastor Mike talked about at a recent Reformation Wednesday, for the love and obedience you've shown through your actions. And so Paul says, knowing this day is coming, and knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing, knowing to the one whom we are accountable to, our Creator, he says, we persuade men. We persuade men. So back in verse 14, he says that the love of Christ controls or compels us. And some people will say that, that this is referring to the love that Christ, when, when they say the love that Christ has for us controls us, as in, when we're made a new creation, we have the Holy Spirit in us, right? We get the Holy Spirit, and as Romans 8 talks about, we are controlled or compelled no longer by the flesh, but by the Spirit. Because if you have the Spirit of God in you, 
the Holy Spirit will produce fruit, right? That's what he does in you. He produces fruit. So some people would say, as a new creation with new hearts, we're moved to love God by the Holy Spirit. That is true. Others would say that here, so they're saying, hey, the love of Christ, God's love for you, works this in you and controls you. Some people would say that um, this refers to our love for Christ, saying, you know, okay, if you love someone, you're going to do this for them. That Paul is saying our love for Christ is the controlling force that compels us because we love him so much um, that we now go and share him with others. I think it is both. I don't think it has to be one or the other. Um, when we grasp God's great love for us, we, we respond in love. That, that's what we do. We cannot love without his love for us first. We, we can't just decide to love him. Um, and he works that in us because he loved us first. Either way, his love, God's love, is what is compelling us. It's what is controlling us. Paul says in verse 15, so that they who live, that's us, believers, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So church, we, we don't live for ourselves anymore. We live for Jesus. Your life is not your own. It does not belong to you. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your life. We don't live for ourselves. We live for Jesus. And here's the thing. Living for Jesus, it's not some tedious, uninteresting thing that we have been called to. Uh, it is born out of the greatest love in all existence. That, that's that's where living for Jesus is born out of, not out of like some sort of sense of, I, I have to do this duty thing. It's born out of love. That's what fuels it. So your obedience to God's commands, your walking in his ways, and not in the ways of the world, it's not born out of or achieved through like the thought of, I just, I got to work harder to be a better person. Like that's not the gospel. It is born out of love. And so we're going to talk in just a moment about verses 18 through 20, about us being ambassadors, which is really the heart of uh, where I want to get to today. But we just, we have to have the foundation first. We have to have the foundation first. We are not good ambassadors born out of a stronger work ethic. And we're good ambassadors born out of love. Love for Christ has to fuel us in all that we do. And so, my brothers and sisters, we must fan into flame our love for Jesus. When, when we don't do that and we try to just do the Christian life in our own strength, we get tired, we get worn down, we feel defeated because we fall and we mess up. We need to fan into flame our love for Jesus. And so, that means... We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. When, when we remind ourselves of the gospel, when we meditate on it, when we, when we ponder God's great love for us, we fan into flame our own love for him. And when we dig into God's word and we see more of his beauty and his glory, we start to fan into flame our love for him. And when we memorize his great and his precious promises in scripture, we, we start to fan into flame our love for him. When you see more of who he is and what he has done, you fan into flame your love. And that is what fuels us being ambassadors. 
We, we want to have a love for Christ and the things he cares about, right? Our work for him has to flow from our love for him. Not a religious system of thinking that we are earning something. We have already been given the greatest of gifts. And I've talked to a lot of people over the years that, whether they realize it or not, think of Christianity like a checklist of things you have to do. And, and that, that's, that's not what it is. Like, check this off, and check this off, and you've done what you're supposed to do, so you're a good Christian, and you're okay with God. And that, that is not Christianity. That is, that is not what we are called to do. We do these things out of love for God as his new creation, and that is foundational. Paul says in verse 18, all these things, all these things are from God. They are gifts. God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if nothing else, praise the Lord for the good news of the gospel in your life. He has saved you. And then Paul says something crazy. He says that he, not Paul, but God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is crazy. God is the one who reconciled us through Jesus. We didn't do that. God is the one who has done the work. Jesus did it. And now he has given us this ministry. The, the Greek word here means that we are to be servants or attendants. Okay, we're not the authors of it, but we are the servants of it. And so, as in, we are the ones to, who will be ministering, who are going to be serving, who are going to be attending to the reconciliation that God has done. This is a huge thing. I, I can't think of anything bigger. Okay, Paul says it again in verse 19. He says, God has committed to us, the church, the word or the message of reconciliation. He has committed to us the gospel message. God did it. Now we're his messengers. We are servants of the gospel. Everyone knows Matthew 28, right? The end of it, at least. What are we commanded to do? Go, right? Go make disciples of all nations. We're supposed to teach them everything that he commanded. And Jesus, what did Jesus say in Acts 1 to his disciples? He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the most remote parts of the earth. And so after that happened, the disciples, they, what, does anyone remember what happened right after that? What were the disciples doing? They, they devoted themselves to prayer. They engaged in worship with the Lord. It's great. But they didn't just stay there in the upper room, Okay. Uh, God sent the Holy Spirit, and they went out and preached the gospel. The church grew. It, it grew a lot. The church started pretty small, okay, a couple hundred people, and now it's across the world. And it's because the church went out, and they preached the gospel. The church did not grow simply because people heard about them and thought, hmm, I'm going to go travel over here and check it out. Some people did that, some people for sure, but it grew because the church went out and shared the gospel with people. They took the message of rec reconciliation and they went. The church should always be growing. That does not mean that a local church should always be bigger than it was the year before. Um, 
but there should be growth. People will depart for good reasons, people will depart for bad reasons, but there should be growth because the church is taking the message of reconciliation out and people are getting saved. And if we want our church to grow, which I hope we do, because that is a biblical thing, then we as the members of Liberty must take the message of reconciliation to those who need it. And it, it is great when other believers join us. Uh, I believe our church needs mature believers to come in. Uh, there's mature believers out there who need a Bible-believing and preaching church to serve in. And praise God when, when they come and join us. And it's also great when less mature believers come and join us so that they can grow and be discipled. Praise God for that. And it's great when believers move here from somewhere else looking for a home, a church home, people that they can worship and, and serve and do life with. And that's great as well. But we can't be just about that. God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Not just the pastors, but the whole church. The whole church. We who are the recipients of this great reconciliation have both the privilege and obligation of being the ones tasked with taking this message of reconciliation to the rest of our community and the world. It has been given to us. We are God's servants in it. Church, we don't choose whether we will accept this responsibility or not. It's not like God says, would you like to be? He says we are. Okay, it's what we are. Um, so the question is not, well, do I want to be an ambassador or not? You are an ambassador for Christ. That's what he says, as if God was making his appeal through us. The question is, what kind of ambassador are you? Like, do we represent him well, or do we represent him poorly? Do we live in such a way that reflects the reality of the gospel, or not? Ambassadors, they're supposed to go and represent not themselves, but the one or the country who has sent them. So we're going to talk about ambassadors and look at that in 2 Corinthians 5 here. There, there's, a, there's a lot more to being an ambassador, but there's at least two big components that I want to talk about this morning. First, there is the lifestyle or, or how you live as an ambassador, and then there's the actual speaking on behalf of. Both are incredibly important. If you leave one out, you botch the message of reconciliation. As ambassadors, we must live in line with God's word. Does how we live express our love and devotion to Christ, or does it show love for ourselves or something else? And we must speak the truth of God's word as his ambassadors. That is what ambassadors do. They go and they speak. So we could talk endlessly this morning about all the different ways we live or speak contrary to Christ um, and how we're supposed to. But I do want to highlight at least a few things this morning that as I read about what's going on in the church in America, I think are, are creeping in at an alarming rate. And I, I talked about this um, a few weeks ago, so I won't spend a long time on it, but first, just the family. And when I say that, I mean marriage and the raising of children. Um, the church should look so different than the rest of the world in this area as ambassadors, okay? The, 
the rate of divorce in the church, and I know what's the real church, you know, can be hard to figure out, but is not super different from the rest of the world. Feminism has crept in and influenced the way families are held together and run. Um, things like moms staying home to raise their kids or making a priority to, to raise their kids is looked down upon even inside the church a lot of times. And the idea that the husband is the head of the wife and the family, a lot of churches would say that's outdated, that's bad, that's not right. Children are raised not all that differently in the church than by the rest of the world. And that, that is not good. That, that does not represent Christ well. Christians, without knowing it a lot of times, I think, let their parenting ideas, they, they learn those from the culture instead of from God's word on how to raise their kids. And so to be good ambassadors as a church, like, we have to love our spouses and raise our kids the way that we're supposed to do. We're, we need to raise our kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And if we don't, we're not going to represent Christ well. We're going to represent something else. And I can almost guarantee you that the more, that more of the world's ways of thinking has crept into how your family operates than you realize, because it just happens. You're immersed in a culture, and if you aren't constantly digging into God's Word and, and checking yourself there, then it, it creeps in. But we, we want to live and raise our kids in a way that honors God in accordance with what we see in His Word. We want to love our spouses the way that God has called us to love them. And of course, it also means that we need to speak this truth to the world as well. As his ambassadors, we need to talk about God's design for sexuality in the family. Um, there is certainly a lot of evidence in the natural world for this, as God designed it that way. But as his ambassadors, we, we need to proclaim that as well. We need to speak it. We need to speak the truth. Um, related to this is just education, and I, I think I spoke some on this uh, last time as well, but when it comes to education, especially with our kids, and I'm thinking about this as get ready to have our first, we want them to be educated, to get an education that honors God. Uh, Vadi Bachman, if I'm even saying his name right, People say it different ways. Um, but he, he said this. I lost my place. Where is it? Here it is. He said this about education and, and children. He said, we cannot keep sending our kids to Caesar's school and be surprised when they come out as Romans. Um, if you want your kids to have an education and you send them to the government to educate them, that's the kind of education they're going to get. They're going to get an education that hates God. They're being taught, like Romans 1 stuff in schools today, at the public school level and at the college level. And it is, it is evil. And I know a lot of Christians work in public schools and see it as a mission field, and praise God that there's some believers there. I'm not saying it's not. Um, but I remember talking with a lot of pastors um, Youth pastors used to get together in the area a lot. I don't think it happens as much anymore, but when I talked to them about homeschooling, some of them were like, ah, homeschooling. And I know that there's a lot of good educations out there, uh, education options out there, and you don't have to homeschool your kids. Uh, but 
they're like, man, our kids need to be in the public schools to be like the salt and the light, to be missionaries. And, and I remember telling them, like, kids are not ready to be missionaries. Like, we're getting ready to send Raymond and Leanne across the world, right, to, to be missionaries. Ask them how many years of training they've been through. Okay, like, they've, they've gone through intense training to do that. Like, your kids are not ready to be missionaries in an environment that's teaching them to hate God. They're just, they're not. Um, they're not ready. And our young people need to be brought up in an education that's going to teach them the truth of the world, God's design for the world, and to love Him. So education is, is a big thing. We need to be living and raising our kids in a way that, as I said, brings them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then we need to speak as a church against education that teaches children that evil is good and good is evil. We've got to be good ambassadors and help people see and not just say, well, that's wrong, okay? We need to help people see not only what is right and is wrong, but like that there are alternatives. And we need to be willing as a church to help people in that when they're like, oh, well, that's wrong. I, how do I get my kids out of here? We need to be willing to come alongside them and help them in those situations. Everybody here knows our church is, is uh, pro-life and recognizes the evil of abortion, right? Um, praise God that we, we talk about it. The church as a whole needs to speak about these things too to the rest of the world, because we are ambassadors. Abortion is murder, and the church should preach against it, should fight against it, should pray to see it come to an end as God's ambassadors, because the slaughter of children is a great evil, and it is against God's kingdom. So these are things that we need, we need to talk about. We need to talk about sexuality as well, and not just this is wrong and this is right, but we need to like be able to talk about like why God designed it, like how he designed it. Everything going on right now in our culture regarding sexuality is an attack on the family and God's good creation order. We need to be able to say sex is a beautiful and wonderful thing that God created to serve a man and a woman in marriage. And outside of that, it's wrong. All the, all the other stuff. And we need to say it and we need to live it. Okay, if the church isn't living it, if the church is engaged in sexual immorality and saying no, that's a poor ambassador. If the church is living it but not saying it, I would argue that that's also being a poor ambassador. We, we've got to speak. That's what ambassadors do. We must speak. When the church remains silent on these issues, we don't represent Christ well. So we must speak. We must explain God's good creation order we must do it by how we live, and we must do it in what we say. And just one more thing I'll mention this morning, because I think it is widespread throughout the church. I'll just call it like pursuing the American dream. Um, we live in the most proper, prosperous nation in the history of the world. And praise God, uh, there are so many countless blessings that come from that. I am thankful. I am thankful uh, for when and where God has placed me. But this prosperity has a great danger that comes with it as well. It is easy for us 
to live not in pursuit of God and his kingdom, but instead of pursuit in pursuit of the American dream. Our lives should look so different than the rest of Americans. At the heart of the American dream, it seems to be like more money for more comforts for me. And it's no wonder that the prosperity gospel is alive and thriving here in America because that goes right along with the American dream. But it is completely against God's word and what he has said. And if we are not careful, we will fall into this trap as well. And so I want to read a couple of chapters forward in 2 Corinthians. I'm sure you've heard it. It's one of my favorite passages. In chapter 9, uh, we'll start in verse 6. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Now I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, if you stop there, you could probably make an argument for the prosperity gospel, okay? Hey, give us money, you'll get rich, right? You, you reap what you sow. But let's see what it says when we continue. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed. For every good deed. Okay, not for yourself. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, that's God, will supply and multiply your seed. Why? For sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, that's generosity, so you're being enriched for generosity, through which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God gives increase, not so that you can live a comfier life with more and more stuff. He gives it so that you can be even more generous and so even more for every good deed and work. It is about God and his kingdom, about being that ambassador, that messenger of reconciliation. It's not about the American dream. And so how we live our lives is such an important part of being an ambassador. If we do not have the fruit of the Spirit in us, if our lives do not reflect the gospel that we preach, what, what will they call us? Called hypocrites, right? You hear it all the time. The church is a bunch of hypocrites. And sometimes it is it is sadly true, um, maybe even often. Sometimes it happens because the world just doesn't like Christians, so they don't like the gospel. If they don't like the gospel, they call Christians hypocrites. That's okay. The gospel is going to offend plenty of people. But let's not have it be that we are actually representing Christ poorly. We want to live as good ambassadors. 
which means that the church has to turn from her sin and return to Christ. We need to seek him and live in the way that he has called us. And if we do not, we will not be effective ambassadors because we will not be living the truth that we are speaking. So what that looks like for each of you here this morning is probably going to be different. Everybody's got different struggles going on, but the church has to get this part of being an ambassador right. We must live in a way that honors God and represents him well to the world. But we also need to speak. It is just as important to declare God's kingdom to the world. Anyone know what Acts one thirty three says? Have you heard it? Preach the gospel when necessary, use words. Yeah, okay, that's not, Acts one thirty three doesn't exist, and that is not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It's actually an unbiblical idea. Like, we are to live in a way that others see our good deeds and glorify God. That's from Matthew. But the gospel must be preached. People don't come to Christ simply because they see your life. It's an important part, but you have to speak. Romans 10 makes it clear that they must hear. Okay, they must hear. Someone has to tell them. And who is supposed to tell them? We are. Okay, we are. It's not just the pastor's job, as I said. It's not just the job of an evangelist or a church leader or a missionary. It is the job of the church, as in all of us. God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We have been given this ministry. And if you think about it, an ambassador for a country, let's just say America, because we live here, they, they go to other countries, they represent America, they speak in America's interests, they tell people what America wants, they tell people what America can do. They're appointed by our president and set in a nation, whatever nation they're an ambassador to. Um, they base themselves there and they speak on America's behalf. That's, that's what they do. We are Christ's ambassadors and he has put us here. He has put us here in St. Charles County, most of us, um, here as a church specifically in O'Fallon, to represent him and his interests, not our own. He committed to us the message of reconciliation. And people have done wrong. They're still doing wrong. They're still his enemies. People here are at war against him. They're not warring against America. They're at war with, with God, the God of the universe. And we represent the God of the universe. It's actually a way bigger responsibility than representing America. Okay, we represent the God of the universe. God's ways and his law and his design, they don't just apply to some people. They apply to all of creation. He's the creator. He, he has authority. America can say maybe they think a country should do this or that. Um, America doesn't actually have authority over another country. We have power and sway because we have money and we have influence. Um, but that, that's all we have. Jesus has all power and authority. Okay, that, he is Lord of all, not Lord of some. He is Lord of all. And so we come and we represent him. We represent Jesus. So when we're declaring his word to the world, we're actually declaring to them what their real king and ruler says. Jesus has the authority. We go, we declare to the world the message he has given us. And to be good ambassadors, we have to speak it. 
we can't remain silent. The world must be told, they must, the gospel must be shared, and for that to be effective, they need to be told what's right and wrong. As, as we looked at in our life groups the other night, a lot of people don't even know, okay? They, they have some sense of conscience, yes, but um, they need to be told what is right and what is wrong and how they can be reconciled to God. And so for some of us, um, it means we need to open our mouths. Some of us, maybe we need to study better, as, as uh, Paul said to Timothy, study to show thyself approved. Some of us need to know our Bibles a little bit better. We need to train some more, which is one of the reasons we're going through the life group this year. Um, doctrine matters. Developing some of those skills matters. What God thinks matters. And if we want to be a good ambassador, we need to know God's heart on stuff. We need to know his heart. Otherwise, we can't be. And finally, in verse 20 of chapter 5, Paul, he says, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So Paul is begging. He is pleading. He's opening his mouth, or in this case, he's writing a letter. Um, but to truly beg means you really care about something. You really care. Paul really cared that people would be reconciled to God. And I think the problem for a lot of us is, and, I, and I'm talking about myself too, is that we don't care enough. We don't care in this kind of way that, that we, would, we would say like Paul, that we would, we would beg. And, and my prayer is that God would change our hearts. That, that's what our life group was praying the other night, is that we would love God so much that we would love people so much that we would share with them. Recognizing that a lot of the reason we don't sometimes is not so much a lack of know-how, but a lack of, of heart. May God change our hearts. I pray that we would be a church that is committed to being the servants of the ministry of reconciliation that God has entrusted to us. That we would be found faithful, that we would as a church grow as, like I said, mature believers join, as young believers join, as uh, believers looking for a home join when they move here. I pray that we would grow, though, because we are faithfully taking the message of reconciliation to the lost, each and every one of us. We all have neighbors and friends and co-workers and family who need this message of reconciliation. May we be faithful to take it to them. And so to this, as I've discovered by experience, when you've known someone for a long time, or you've lived next to them for a long time, or worked with them for a long time, if you've never shared the gospel with them, you've never really taken the time to, to reach out to them, and it's been a long time, it, it feels pretty awkward. Okay, how do I start this three years after I have this relationship? How, how am I supposed to start to share the most important message they'll ever hear? Why, you know? There's probably some shame or embarrassment that we feel for not having done this sooner. And at least I, I feel that way. And my encouragement is that you just move past it <laughs> because you want to be a faithful ambassador. Say something like, hey, I'm really sorry that I haven't shared this with you before. I'm sorry I haven't taken the time to get together with you before. Can you come over for dinner? Can you come over? For, can we meet for lunch? And just open your mouth and share. 
maybe even apologize for not sharing sooner, and then share. Um, I believe that we should all be striving to be such good ambassadors that all of our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends know that we love Jesus, know that we are a part of Liberty Church, and know at least some of the gospel, whether they believe it or not, because we have shared it with them in some form or fashion. I think when I, when I try to think about sometimes if I'm an ambassador and I've known someone for a long time and they don't know any of those things, I've not been a good ambassador. Like, I, just, I haven't been representing well. I haven't been doing my job. And so, may we be faithful ambassadors, church. And as the Lord would have it, we have two fantastic opportunities this semester to engage in this. First, as I've said, our life groups are going to push us outside our comfort zone. They're going to get us trained, and as my life group is praying, uh, that the Lord would transform our hearts and give us a love for Him and a love for the lost. So, if you're not in a life group, show up at life group. What a blessing it is that we can learn from the men in these videos, even if they're a little old and a little cheesy sometimes, it's all right. Um, they look like the 90s, but the truth of God's word is still there. And so, great opportunity. Hopefully, you can be encouraged as well as you go through that to go and do it. And then secondly, we have the fall party coming this weekend. That is a great opportunity to meet people, to invite people, to share with people, and so I encourage you, church, to do it. This is not just a fun event, and if you're working it, you probably know that, because uh, it's a lot of work, right? It's a lot of work to put this on. Our church is not 300 people big, okay? So putting on an event where we have 300 or more people is a lot of work, but it is work for the gospel, because we want the message of reconciliation to go out there. And that is going to happen. Pastor Mike will share the gospel, but we should all be looking for some opportunities ourselves to, to share with people, to invite them, to, to have that conversation where you can share the gospel. So my encouragement, church, be there and be an ambassador for Christ. You are an ambassador for Christ. Be a good one. And as we get ready to close, I have two more exhortations. Um, I'll speak again to the church in a moment, but for, for anyone here, if you have not received the message of reconciliation, I say with Paul, and I beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. People sit in churches every week for years, their whole lives, and still go to hell because they don't trust in Christ. And so, I, with Paul, I beg you, be reconciled to God. God made Jesus, who was sinless, to take your sin upon himself, bearing the weight and the punishment for it so that you might be reconciled to God and declared righteous in his sight. No matter what you have done, the way has been opened to you. So I urge you this morning to receive the grace of God in your life as 6.2 in 2 Corinthians says, um, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And that day of salvation can be for you now. You don't have to strive to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. You can't clean yourself up. 
You come to him as you are. Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You trust in him. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. It says that whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I plead with you this morning. Do it. Trust in the Lord. Turn from your sin, from trusting in yourself, and trust in Jesus. Believe on him and be saved. And if you decide to do that this morning, I would love to talk to you afterwards and help you get started on your journey with Christ. And to my brothers and sisters here this morning, as we conclude, I want to remind you one more time, everything I said about being an ambassador has to be born out of love. God's love for us, and in return, our love for him. If you're going to turn from your sin, you must turn to God and his love. If you're going to start opening your mouth and speaking the message of reconciliation, it must be out of love. We need to remember God's great love for us and rekindle our love for him and fan it into flame. We can do lots of works. We can try to do lots of stuff in our own strength and stand on right doctrines and still be lacking in our love for Christ. So my invitation to you this morning is the same that Jesus gave to the church in Ephesus. He said, I know your deeds, your toil, your perseverance, they've been doing good stuff, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. Therefore, remember where you have fallen. Repent and do the deeds you did at first. Return to your first love. Return to Jesus. Remember his great love for you and ask him to refresh your heart that you may turn from yourself and love him the way that you should. Being a good ambassador is born out of love and not striving. Let's pray and then we're going to sing together. Lord Jesus, you are the creator and the ruler of all, and we know that you have committed to us the message of reconciliation. You have made us your ambassadors to take the gospel message to the ends of the earth, and not just the ends of the earth, but also here to our own neighborhoods. So, first this morning, Lord, we ask for anyone in this room that has not received the message of reconciliation, please grant them saving faith. Turn them from their sin into you. Call them from the darkness and into your marvelous light. May they call on your name this morning and be saved. And secondly, Lord, we ask that you'd help us, your church, grant us, according to the riches of your glory, to be strengthened with power through your Holy Spirit, that we may all be rooted and grounded in your love and be able to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of your love that surpasses knowledge. Lord, we love because you first loved us. So fill us with all your fullness that we may love you and work in our hearts now as we sing of your love. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.